off the ball. Get all the best bits at newstalk.com slash off the ball. Newstalk 106 to 108. All right, I'm delighted to say we've got uh, Mina Kimes, who is a senior writer at ESPN magazine. She's also one of the stars of the Bill Barnwell podcast. So I guess a lot of our listeners will be familiar with your work. Mina, thanks very much for talking to us this evening. Thanks for having me. Here, so there's a couple of things I want to talk to you about. Obviously, this is generally the best weekend of football because mostly, almost all the teams are really good, maybe with the exception of Brock Osweiler's Houston. And so there should be nothing but a level of excitement and anticipation for the games this week. But you've written a really brilliant piece about Tyreek Hill and just the minefield that the NFL find themselves in with a player like Tyreek Hill who has a domestic abuse conviction on his resume as well as being an absolute superstar in the league. So maybe you might just tease out where the difficulties are for everybody who's watching the sport this weekend. Yeah, so this is sort of a novel situation, at least in recent years, because while there have been some high-profile cases of domestic abuse or history of domestic abuse in the NFL, I think this is the first time we have a true game-breaker star who is on fantasy teams and, you know, people want to buy his jersey and he's mentioned on TV a lot. Um, And I think we haven't really figured out how to deal with that. And by we, I mean fans, um, the press, just people, announcers talking about the NFL. So I've been sort of watching Tyreek Hill's rise all season and kind of been wrestling with this question as an NFL analyst uh, and someone who talks about him on a pretty regular basis in a football context. So the, the the point about um, there not being that many players like this, obviously Ray Rice famously uh, is caught on camera. The the footage is seen by Roger Goodell. He doesn't really act on it. The footage gets leaked. Ray Rice's career is effectively ended. Here we have Tyreek Hill, who in the past, before the draft, is found guilty of a pretty horrific offence. And yet he still gets drafted in the immediate aftermath of it. So it's it, the difference here is that this is a, a guy who's at the very start of his career and he has a, a long number of years where he's going to be absolutely sensational on the field. Yeah, it's all about timing, right? So he was he, he was kicked out of Oklahoma State, and then he sort of spent a year in purgatory at a smaller school. So before the draft, and as I mentioned in the piece, you know, if this had happened right before the draft or during his career in the league, he wouldn't be playing. So in, in, in a weird way, he sort of benefited from the timing of what happened, but it's also given him an opportunity to start atoning for his actions. He did plead guilty. He has apologized. He has publicly discussed, although not in great detail, that he's doing therapy and providing for his victims. So I think that plays also in a role, uh, it plays a role in why he's on the field on Sundays. And this is what your your piece really, it, it's kind of elevated from the normal. Because like my natural response to this would be, screw him and screw Kansas City for signing him because effectively they're endorsing what he's done. But you've actually spoken to experts in uh and how domestic abuse victims find speaking up in their situation really difficult if it turns out that their abuser is going to suffer very significant repercussions it, it's this kind of awful catch-22 situation that the victims find themselves in yeah i know for so long i'd be like just don't let them play right um which is difficult now i realize it's actually kind of a a difficult thing to say for a number of reasons one of which is the nfl has proven that it's not better in, than law enforcement in adjudicating these cases and actually finding out what happened in fact in some cases it's almost been comically bad at that so that's a problem and then the second problem is what you're saying which is when they have zero to- tolerance policies domestic violence experts say it does deter victims from coming forward because they're afraid of jeopardizing, you know, not only the careers of their boyfriends, spouses, partners, 
but also potentially their own livelihood and the livelihood of their family. So actually, it can be even more dangerous for victims to say, okay, if, if a player does this, he's out of the NFL altogether. Yeah, it's really counterintuitive to to try and think that the right yeah. thing to do is to somehow help rehabilitate the perpetrator of this awful crime. Yeah, or let him play. And, and Tyreek Hill, but, and I, I, it's hard for me, right? Because I don't want to say don't punish them. You know, as I mentioned in the piece, when we let these guys play or let them return to the field is kind of what happened in Joe Mixon's case, for example, at Oklahoma. It, it, it's, I think you, you need to put the needs of the victims first, no matter what, but it does create a secondary set of issues, one of which is there could be survivors watching the game or paying attention to them, and it's hard to sort of reconcile that with the fact that you know it does cause them pain and it does feel like, well, if we don't punish them at, at all, you know, what what does that mean for the game? And then secondarily, how do we even talk about them, which is a little bit of the sort of meta discussion of as reporters who talk about these players, do we bring it up every time they're on the field? Do we bring it up every time Tyreek Hill scores a touchdown? Oh, by the way, he did X, Y, and Z. That feels wrong too. So I think it's a really complicated issue for people who watch the NFL. Yeah, I, I feel like we should actually say what he did. He, he, he grabbed his victim who was pregnant at the time around her neck with his hands he pinned her against the wall he threw her to the ground like a rag doll and then she told an officer that Tyree Kill had picked her up by the hair and put her in a headlock after she screams I can't breathe several times he apparently releases her and sits on top of her punching her in the stomach so it's it's grim it's really awful yeah and she testified in court and that happens all too rarely with these cases sort of for the reasons we were discussing which is with intimate partner violence these are relationships and they don't necessarily want the person to go to prison or to stop providing for the family or break the relationship they just want the violence to stop so it was kind of unusual in that she did come forward and testify and you know so far ostensibly this has worked out well for both of them you know he is earning a living and having a chance to redeem himself. She is able to, you know, take care of their child and he's providing for her and she's safe, it seems. But so often that doesn't happen in these cases. So it is not necessarily guaranteed that it works out that way. Yeah, it kind of feels like maybe the punishment needed to be a little bit more, you know, maybe he should have gone to prison for a period of time and then when he comes out, he should be able to... I, it, that's, I, I, it's that whole... Where where do we as a society stand on crime and punishment? And it's very hard to find uh, any small political grouping who can agree on yeah. uh, a way, let alone the NFL. What's best for all the stakeholders involved, right? Because in the same way that if there's zero tolerance policies um, that can potentially cause, create a dangerous situation for victims who won't report, I think mandatory prison sentencing can do the same thing. You know, that could also deter women from coming forward and reporting if they know that it'll result in jail time for their partner it's a very, very difficult balance to find. Um, and it's one that I think the NFL has really, really struggled to. And, and I, in some, way, in some ways, I empathize with them. It, it really does feel like lose-lose, you know? Um, I, I think what we can say is that they should be more transparent on every level. You know, when the Chiefs drafted him, they were not particularly transparent about the vetting process. And since then, in recent weeks, they've revealed more about the process of how they decided to draft him and the work that he's been doing off of the field. Okay. Let's talk about the actual football on the field because we um, it's genuinely really, really exciting weekend for all sorts of reasons. The the Chiefs-Steelers game, um, 
the Steelers had significant worry about uh, Ben Roethlisberger when he got injured towards the end of last week's game. It looks like he's going to be fine, which ultimately, I suppose, if we're football fans, everybody wants to see the best Steelers team against the best available Chiefs team. Yeah, people don't want to see Connor Cook part two, although Landry Jones is a lot better than him or at least more experienced, so I feel bad making that comparison. I think the thing about the Steelers that's kind of interesting is that Ben Roethlisberger has been really inconsistent all season. He has not carried this team. Le'Veon Bell has carried this team. Antonio Brown has carried this team. Ben Roethlisberger has been actually quite interception prone. He's been inconsistent, and he's playing now the team that led the league in takeaways. So for them to stay in this game, he needs to not have costly turnovers. Uh, Fortunately for the Steelers, Kansas City, while we think of them as being a very aggressive ball-hawking defense, they do struggle against the run. So I could see this as a game where Le'Veon does take over. Yeah, and they give it to him 10 times in a row again, and he runs in a bunch of touchdowns. I've seen people quote the... uh, the stats in, in terms of fantasy and how Roethlisberger is on average two points less than um, uh, his opponent this week over, I think, maybe a two and a half year period. And I'm like, well, hang on a second. That's probably because he's just giving the ball to his running backs when he's on the goal line. As a, an owner of Ben Roethlisberger, I, I was kind of like, you know, I feel this frustration here. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Chiefs, too, I think people think of them as a rushing offense because, you know, Jamal Charles and Spencer Rice pretty good, but actually they haven't been that efficient at running the ball. Um, A big part, I said, I I think a big piece of their offense that was missing when they first played uh, was Tyreek Hill and also Travis Kelsey, who's been really dominant over the course of the season and grown more dominant uh, over the last few weeks. He was basically a non-factor at the time, first time these two teams meet. So if he comes out, I think it has a big game that could keep them in it as well. Alex Smith is also really good in the playoffs. Yeah, (laughs) So is Andy Reid. Well, Andy Reid is really good off of the bye, and I think that's going to be an issue. I think the fact they're playing at home is a really big issue because uh, the Steelers have been a lot worse on the road, in particular Ben Roethlisberger. So they do have some advantages going into this. I, I mean, this is a really, really close game, a really hard one to pick. Yeah, who are you picking in this? I'm actually going with the Steelers, um, partially because I think their defense has improved so much over the course of the season. We saw that with, you know, against, uh, granted, a, a somewhat mediocre Miami offense uh, they're just so aggressive and they've really improved their pass rush James Harrison who is 95 years old is playing like a 45 year old version of himself I mean and Bud Dupree is such a heavy hitter I think that they could really come out and change this game the other game just to to talk about them uh, pretty briefly the Atlanta Seattle game um, you know if this had happened maybe six or eight weeks ago it would have been offense versus defense but since Seattle are just not the same team without Earl Thomas is it really fair to paint this as a the best offense in the league against one of the top defenses in the league no absolutely the Seattle defense you're right has been uh, heavily diminished however the Seattle offense has improved as the season has gone by I think if they want a chance to stay in this game they need to run the ball like they did last week against Detroit against a very bad Atlanta run defense and they need to Control the time of possession. Keep Matt Ryan off of the field. You're giving them a chance? I'm giving them a chance if they can run the ball, and that's going to be key. We just saw CJ Procise, who's their third down back, is going to be out. That hurts. Marcel Reese, the fullback, is going to be in. That helps. Um, Atlanta allowed, during from week 10 on, 5.22 rushing yards per carry. That is atrocious. So if they can keep that running game up, I think they have a chance. Okay, and then the, uh, the Green Bay-Dallas game is... Um, Again, really interesting because like everybody assumes Dak is going to be regular season Dak, but this is the playoffs and, you know, uh, uh, Odell Beckham wasn't brilliant in his first ever playoff game. These things can just get in players' heads. Yeah, far from it. Um, this is going to be a really interesting game. I think 
you know, looking at the games that the Cowboys lost, aka when they played the Giants, uh, what was common between those games was that Ezekiel Elliott ran for less than 90 yards. So the Packers' run defense really needs to step up because when he can't keep the Cowboys on the field, they do find themselves to be more vulnerable and struggle. And obviously you want Aaron Rodgers on the field as long as possible, playing like he did in the second half last week. Uh, and then finally, the um, the Houston-New England game, the spread 17 points. New, New England are going to cover that, right? I think you're forgetting that Bill Belichick was photographed on a boat last week. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's rough, man, because Houston's offense is just so bad. And Osweiler looked halfway decent last week, but I think a lot of that was luck. Um, he is just not a good quarterback. I don't know what to say. Their only hope of, I think, you know, closing that gap is if the defense takes over, if they get some turnovers. Uh, you know, the defense did look amazing last week. Um, Jadavion Clowney and Whitney Merciless in particular, that combined uh, pass rush was very, very, very good. I think a lot better than people expected. Uh, so if they can do that with Brady, if they can get some turnovers, uh, they have a really good pass defense as well. That could help. They might have a chance of losing by less. I don't know. It's, it's going to be hard. I mean, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for making the time for us. Thank you. Amina Kimes there, a senior writer for ESPN, and we tweeted a link out to the piece about Tyreek Hill a little bit earlier on. Uh, we're just coming up to the football show, and on the football show tonight, Don McDonald, the Irish Independent, is going to be in with us. We're going to speak with Luther Blissett about uh, the late Graham Taylor, and Graham Hunter is going to join us to talk to us a little bit about what's going on in Spain. All of that coming up after the news. Off the ball. Get all the best bits at newstalk.com slash off the ball. News Talk 106 to 108.